Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Moshe Blurian. Thanks for being on the show, Moshe. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Moshe started Gray Hill Group in 2016. Since then, along with his partner, he has acquired more than 150 apartments all throughout the upstate New York area. They have also been heavily focused on the industrial market class, acquiring three large warehouses within the past year. Moshe, welcome to the show. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your story because I think you are, you're going to be able to help us learn more about why you love industrial, maybe why you're taking a shift from multifamily because you're very experienced now in both. And then also, I think you can help a lot of our young listeners uh, to get started and maybe encourage them a little bit. But tell us a little more detail about your focus right now, and let's dive into the multifamily versus industrial and why you've made that switch. 100%. I appreciate it, Whitney. So like you said, in the beginning, when I first created Gray Hill, we first were focused primarily on the multifamily market. Like as you can say, it's a way to get in, right? You start buying duplexes, triplexes, and you just start building up. And from there, like I said, I got lucky a little bit. I got a few breakthroughs and we purchased a nice size portfolio and we kind of built up in specific cities in upstate New York, boots on the ground, built a management company that's still active till today. We still have all of our properties under management. A lot of the deals were syndicated. A lot of the deals were purchased in-house. And from there, a lot of experience was gained. A lot of relationships were created. And obviously, the year the past year or so has been tough. A lot of our deals have suffered, but thank God we've been able to stay active. And within the past year and a half, I kind of just started looking more into the industrial market. My dad always leased rent warehouses as far as I can remember. So I was always kind of involved in the industrial market. I was always curious, but in the beginning, it's just hard to get into it. So as I learned more about it, I just realized the risk factor I feel and the potential per deal is just the way I see it a lot less. And in regards to multifamily, it's, I think it's a tough market, especially right now where prices are heavily inflated. So the pandemic almost assisted me in my decision to say, hey, listen, like this year, let's try to at least buy some industrial buildings. Multifamily is overpriced. We're still looking in our markets. Once the, the market opens up, I do believe that we will still buy multifamily. It's our bread and butter. It's everywhere. It's never going to go away. But thank God we've focused heavily on the industrial market and it's worked out for us because the knowledge that we gained, the understanding of the market, the ability to assess risk in the industrial market has been great. And it's worked out because again, our investors are getting comfortable with it. We're day by day getting more comfortable with it. We're seeing more deals. Um, We're focusing on bigger deals and the e-commerce is just going crazy. And you see these tenants out there and you see these warehouses that are being, that the prices are just inflating and going just insane what's happening. I think within the next five years is going to be another huge, huge boost. And we're focused primarily on secondary and tertiary markets where I think there's still opportunity. And we're focused on partnering with good businesses. It doesn't have to be accredited. And it's just, it's been working. Great. No, it's awesome. I appreciate you elaborating there. I wanted to back up a little bit. I know you mentioned just like some of the deals have suffered a little bit just through the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic obviously was unexpected to 
everyone, right? No one knew that was coming. But could you elaborate on that a little bit? And maybe what, how has that helped you to improve moving forward? What have you changed? Or maybe a little bit of what happened? And then how does that help you to operate the next deals even better? Or how you're preparing for the next opportunities? 100%. I would say it was a little bit of a slap in the face. You know, you kind of realize that it's not all easy. I don't think there's any investors out there that hasn't suffered through the pandemic. Again, I think except for like industrial and self-storage. But I think that on a multifamily standpoint, obviously a lot of rent has not been paid. I have friends that have suffered a lot more than me that are at risk of losing their buildings, but thank God we're not in that position. At the end of the day, it makes you just work harder to collect more rent, to go out and to work with tenants and to build your relationship with them even more to know that they have your trust. Our management team had to step up. But listen, at the end of the day, some rent is not getting paid, which is very frustrating. The city is not helping us at all. We're put in a corner. Our partners are put in a corner. Thank God we're all working towards it. And I hope that we're kind of coming to the end of this craziness. But I would say, obviously, I didn't experience what happened in 2008. I don't think it's anything like that. But I would say that this was a lesson for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think that everyone's going to learn from this. I think that every management company will be a better management company after the pandemic than they were before. They'll learn more. They'll understand more. It doesn't really get tougher than this in regards to management when you have buildings that are rents not getting paid. It's tough to pay taxes. It's tough to pay your bills. And it's tough to pay contractors even. And they understand. Everyone understands. Everyone's working together to get past it. And hopefully over the next couple of months, it's going to work out. So is there an example deal you could share with us that you're either working on now or have worked on recently? So I would say on an industrial side, the biggest deal that we've worked on, and I guess you can say it was very much luck because we just got in right when it came on the market. It wasn't really on the market. We ended up buying a 130,000 square foot space in Connecticut for around $15 a square foot vacant, which is the numbers just blew up because there was this company that was there for about 100 years. The space is old. It actually came 20,000 square feet office space that's separated from the warehouse and about 110,000 square feet industrial. We bought it for 1.8. We got 0% financing for a year on 70% LTV. Believe it or not, we already got, because the 20,000 square foot office space is on a main road. Adjacent to it is a BMW dealership. Adjacent to it is a McDonald's. We already got offered just an office space for 1.5 million. And we declined it. So that deal turned out to be a home run. We did it in-house and it gave me a lot of energy and confidence to be able to kind of like say like, this is a fantastic deal. And the goal is to fill it up. We already have it on the market. It's a beautiful space and it's a classic value add deal. It's not really, again, generally what we look for because we do look for occupied properties generally. Again, focusing on risk. This is a very risky deal, which is why we did it in-house. I generally don't like to risk partners' money unless they want to, unless they understand the risk associated with this. This we did fully in-house, but generally this is not the type of deals that we look for. It's very risky. You know, we have a chance to be vacant for a couple of months, even up to a year, but we declined the $1.5 million offer on it. And that's recouping our entire investment right there. And I believe that the sky is the limit with this deal. Nice. No, that's awesome. Love when you're energized about a deal like that, feel that confident about it. You pride yourself in being able to like break down the risk. Help us to think through that. How have you really gotten good at breaking down that risk like you talk about? You can use that deal as an example or a different one, but help us to do the same thing. 
Hundred percent. So I think that with every deal, you can't look at it with as one big picture, because I think that's when you miss things. I think sometimes, and I literally will sit down and basically on my computer write down every single step that I think is going to have to happen to make this deal work, from getting the financing, from leasing out the property, and a great way to kind of make sure you're not making a mistake is really make each step into its own deal, and that step has to work out. And then it could turn out to be 20, 30 steps if you really break it down properly. And from there, after a little bit of thinking and some work, you can really specifically focus on, wow, that's where I can really mess up potentially. So how can I resolve that? And what happens if that doesn't work out? And I learned this from someone who taught it to me. And it's, it's, I don't even know how I could assess deals without it because an underwriting is one thing, but to be able to understand a deal is something else. So to break it down, to understand each step and then to assess each step, is a fantastic way of just kind of taking a step back and minimizing your risk, I think, heavily. And you mentioned like underwriting versus like understanding the deal. Can you give an, an example of that or just to help the listener and I to think through that? So when you underwrite, you're looking at just the overall deal, like I said, but you're missing, for example, you're saying that this is what you're getting for rent, but what happens if it goes vacant? And that's just a very broad example, but you can break that down even more to the extent of, other other solid brokers in the area. How fast will it take you to get a space rented out potentially? And I found that with industrial, it really comes down to market, it comes down to tenant. And I think market's really the most important thing. If you're investing into a good market, you're already ahead. And I think that tenants also are very, very important. But if you're investing in a bad market, you have no upside. Real estate's a long-term investment. As you know, like it's just not a it's not a get rich quick game. You got to be in it long-term. I knew that from the beginning. I know a lot of friends that kind of got in there a year or two. Why am I not rich yet? I got to get out of here and go make go make money. And part of what you got to do is, like I said, I think underwriting is important, but that's not the only way to assess a deal. I think that if you're just underwriting a deal and making offers, that's a good way to make an offer because you got to make an offer quickly. But before you actually commit to the deal, I think there's a whole nother level of, of quote-unquote underwriting that has to happen in order for the deal to make sense. No doubt about it. There's a lot more to it than just the numbers. The numbers are so important, right? But there's a lot bigger picture, and I appreciate you just bringing that out. You know, you have to look at that deal as a whole, like you mentioned. I think that's great advice. Just you getting started at a young age. Let's talk about that a minute, because I think you can add a lot of value to the listeners who are maybe hesitant, or maybe they feel like they're too young, or you know, I've heard all those things myself, even when I started. And there's probably many listening who are younger than I was when I started in real estate as well. But I know you. You went through that, and I think you can add a lot of value there. Let's let's jump in there and add some value to the listeners who think that maybe they're too young to get started in this business. I graduated college with a bachelor's in finance and a minor in computer science, which I thought was the perfect combination to get the best job possible, which I think it still is in this in this day and age. And I never got a job out of college. I decided that I wasn't married, and I told myself, "Listen, if there's a time to take the biggest risk in my life, it's right now." And I told myself, what do I want to do the most? At that point, obviously, you get hooked with Robert Kiyosaki and, and you kind of, you just kind of start to finally, like as a 19-year-old, investing doesn't make any sense. But as you get older, once you start going to your 20s, the investing concept kind of makes more sense. And then I really believe, and this is advice that someone gave me, which, which I think is where I am today because of it, is that when you're younger, you can take risks. But when you're older, you're able to still take risks, but it's going to be tough when you fail. But when you're a 22-year-old guy 
and you lose $200,000, your life is not over. You know, if you lose $100,000, your life is not over. You lose a property, your life is not over. You have an opportunity to literally just, no one will ask you any questions. But when you're married, you have kids and you mess up, your wife's gonna tell you something and then you have to make a big life decision from there. So I took that opportunity and it's really, like I said, when you're married, it's very tough to say, listen, I'm not gonna make any money for two years. And I don't need money for two years. I'm just gonna focus on getting experience, learning, partnering with people and, and giving them the value. And when you're young, you can take that risk and it can pay off big time because it's a small risk to take, but the potential I think is through the roof. So for any younger listeners, and I'm, I'm getting older now, but for any younger listeners, take that risk in the beginning because as you get older, that opportunity is just not going to be there and everyone naturally grows up. So I think that's the biggest advice for, for anybody. I'm not saying go to college, but take risks. For sure. You, know, you have to be willing to take risk if you plan to do anything different than anybody else you probably know, right? That are playing it safe and getting the J-O-B that everybody says you should have and all those things that you've all heard about often, but still so many won't step out there. And I couldn't agree with you more. The younger man, you know, take that risk now. It is so much harder once you're, you know, you have a family and kids. And I wish even myself had been much further along before marrying kids. And I could have been if I, like you, had taken a little more risk or had a little guidance. Was there something at that time, though, for you, somebody or a mentor or somebody that said, hey, Moshe, why don't you try this? Or have you thought about doing this when you get out of college? Or instead of that, anybody like that that helped kind of shape your thought about that during that time? 100%. It was all my dad. My dad was never an investor. He's a hardworking man. He had a business. He never invested a dollar in his life. And I didn't really know much about real estate. And he was the one who kind of said, here, why don't you just get your real estate license? And then the concept of real estate came into my head. And then, like I said, I just, just in the process of talking to different individuals and just honestly, just reading a few books that opens up your eyes a little bit and says, wow, like this actually makes a lot of sense on on a long-term basis. So I I really give all the credit to my dad. I tell, I always say till today, if he didn't tell me to get my license and to just kind of like start learning more about the real estate game. I think I would have gotten a job in finance and that I I hope would have still worked out, but I I don't think I'd be having as much fun as I am now. I'm blessed. Thank God. So I give all the credit to my father. That's awesome. Well, we all need those people, right? That can give us some wisdom or guidance at that time. And and I would encourage you to listen to Proverbs chapter one. <laughs> we, my family and I have been reading that recently. It's just great to, for just heeding instruction and listening to those that are wiser. That's great advice. A few last questions. What's been the hardest part of just the syndication business for you? The hardest part is gaining that traction. And thank God at this mm. point, I would say that I have gained it and I've earned the respect needed in the industry. But it's definitely a challenge to be gaining people's trust and to be just put out there and to say, hey, listen, like this is opportunities that I have in front of me. I'm out there hustling and I'm out there getting opportunities to come work with me and let us reach that goal together. And I always say that you know yourself when you have a partner, it's never a one and done type of thing. It's all about building long term relationships. And once I took that concept head on, I think that. It's really about building, it's more than even a friendship. It's like a bond you're building together where you're really in it together. You're not only in it to make money, but you're also in it to, to enjoy. You know, I think investing, it's a business, but it's also like, it's something that, that, that I think that everyone should enjoy doing. That's why you work, 
you can invest your money. And I think that it should be somewhat fun to be able to analyze a building, you know, make that investment, take that risk, get your heart pumping a little bit, start getting returns, you know, and just work the deal. And I would say the toughest part was to get past that. That I'm sure you've been in also, Whitney. It's very tough to kind of get past that first wall. But once the walls start coming down, people start to know you more. It's a really good feeling. And, and I honestly, I sometimes think to myself in five years down the line, it's going to be so much of a better feeling because as you get older, it only gets better. And I always tell my partner that whatever tough times we have in our business right now, whether it's getting deals, you know, whether it's putting together deals, it only really gets easier as you progress forward. I, that's the way I see it. I could be completely wrong about that. You probably have more experience than I do, but I can't see it getting any harder than this. You know what I'm saying? Well, it is definitely so difficult to get started, to get to that first syndication, building a brand, a business, all those things. Just, just the educational component during all that that has to happen. There's just so much that has to happen getting that first deal done. But oh my goodness, you know, the second deal, so much easier. The third deal, the fourth deal, I mean, it does. You know, and like you said, you finally start to gain some momentum. People know who you are. I mean, whether it's brokers, attorneys, investors, they all know you can close. They all know you, you have credibility, hopefully. And it, it does, it's, it gets easier. But everybody had to start somewhere. So you just got to jump in. Like you said, you know, you have to be willing to take some risk, but hopefully you have calculated it just like you've talked about as well. Moshe, how do you prepare for a downturn? Again, I don't think there's any way to really prepare for a downturn. It's a tough question to answer, but I would just say is, is to have all your knots tied. You know, I think that you need to have a solid management company in place. When it comes to industrial, you just have to be smart with your investments. Again, like I said, you have to invest in good markets. I think to predict a crash or to predict a pandemic, it's literally impossible. Any investor that says that they could predict it and, and, oh, yeah, we have that risk set up. Like We know it's not coming or we know that that risk is not associated with this deal. I think they're just wrong. And so I never tell anybody from my partner or my partners that we work with that I know whether or not something bad is coming. That would, that would really hurt our investment. But again, with whatever deal we do, we have the trust from our partners and everyone around us that we're assessing every single type of risk that we can. But a downturn, a downturn in regards to a tenant not paying is something that I think could be managed. But a downturn on a different level, I think that it's part of mother nature to a certain extent. You'll run into the fire, but if everything looks safe and then things kind of go south, it's unfortunate when you get hit with a pandemic. But again, obviously, to answer your question to a certain extent, never over leverage, which thank God our debt coverage ratio is, I take pride in it being so high and on our overall portfolio base and lenders love it. And it gives us opportunities to get to get more financing if we need in the future. And it kind of like sets the foundation for our company. So I would say to answer your question is over leveraging could put you in a position where right now, for example, during a pandemic, guys who are over leveraged through the roof are suffering. Even our deals where we have private lending. It's been tough. It's been very tough. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely don't want to over leverage or you're going to be hurting in a time like this. No doubt about it. Any daily habits that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? I would say getting up early. Everyone has read Elrod's book. That book was a, uh, I read it when I was younger. It was amazing. I, I haven't taken on all his tips, but I think getting up early and having a, a good start to your day and kind of putting everything on the table that needs to be done as well as preparing. Every Sunday, and this is really from Seven Habits book, 
that was a huge point to me where just kind of like just pairing is really the most important thing to have to know what you got to do on a weekly basis to know what you got to do on a daily basis i don't think you can have any chance of getting anything done without that there's no way you can get to your office in the morning and then say okay fine what do i got to do now if you think about it it doesn't make any sense what's your best source for meeting new investors right now i would say it's word of mouth people that i trust again we like to create relationships with the smaller investors, but also the big investors, because those are the investors that we feel would really, really invest with us. And we have, an, like, like I said, an opportunity to make a huge relationship happen, even though there are investors that will start off with investing 50000 with you. And I know people that they're investing now a million dollars. So it's all about the long-term relationship. So I don't just invest with any random person. I think that the same way they're choosing us, we're choosing them even more. And I think that every LP... You know, every partner should understand that and when they're assessing a deal, it's not about just choosing the investment, you're choosing the operator, but the operator is also has to make a decision to say it's a real partnership. There's a little bit of a difference between obviously a partnership between two partners versus a, a partnership between LP and a GP, but it's not that much different. They're giving you your money, you're working together, you each have your own roles. So I think that there's nothing that I love more than for a person who's invested with us to say, hey, here's my friend who wants to invest with you guys. And, that's like, to me, the best feeling in the world. For sure. For sure. Number one thing that's contributed to your success. I do think it's starting young. I really believe that. I think that that was, again, that like mitigated my risk like crazy. I don't know what I would have done if I would have started later. I, obviously, I think I would have figured it out. But starting young is, I think, the most important thing. You know, you just got to jump in. If it doesn't work out, you'll figure it out. But take risks in the beginning. Just be prepared to not make money in the beginning. You can get lucky. Be prepared to not make money in the beginning and slowly things will just progress forward. Just kind of like how we are as humans. Things work out eventually. Also getting married was huge. I think getting married <laughs> is a huge blessing. Uh, my wife is amazing and she runs a real estate marketing company, which helps me like crazy. But I think once you get married, blessings just blossom from there. Thanks for giving her some credit there. I'm sure she appreciates that. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. No doubt about it. But hopefully if you're getting started young, maybe you aren't married yet. But man, yeah, I couldn't do it without my wife. That's for sure. She's the most important team member. So how do you like to give back? Well, I give back 10% of whatever I make to charity. I think that's important. In my religion, that's kind of like a, a must. It's a worldwide concept, irrelevant to religion. But for some reason in this world, that we live in, when you give, you weirdly get back. It's hard. No one could explain it, but I think giving charity is an easy way. You don't have to go into a soup kitchen and give out soup. It's great if you can do that, but an easy way for any, any business owner or any investor or anybody at all to just easily give back on your computer. And it's so easy because opportunities come left and right is to always make sure that not only that you're giving back to 10%, but you're also calculating exactly how much you give back. Because I found that when you stay in track of it, you're actually calculating every little bit of charity. You actually make it that you make sure it's 10% and not less. I think that it's just for some reason, everything just works out and just comes back to you. It's amazing. Moshe, grateful for your time today and how you give back. And then just also how you gave back to us today, just in sharing your experience and from multifamily to industrial and why and how to evaluate risk or just breaking down the risk. And I appreciate it too, just the underwriting versus understanding the entire deal, looking at it as a whole. And then just your encouragement for younger 
younger people who want to make it in this business or in any business really for that matter, that taking that risk is best earlier the better. No doubt about it. Moshe, thank you again. How can listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you? So you can reach us at greyhillgroup.com. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. If anybody wants to contact me, my email is mo at greyhillgroup.com. And we're always looking to make new relationships, multifamily, industrial, or just to say hi and just become friends. So yeah. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.